don't you go ahead and grab your Bible or turn your Bible on or whatever the case may be and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are going to be this morning in just a few minutes, Ephesians chapter 4. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, the month of August is really important for us as a local church as we're going to be holding out and talking about various things that are really, really important to us as a local church, the things that we rally around and the things that really define who we are as a local New Testament church, and we're even going to be doing one of those this morning. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, you can find your place there, and I'll start reading in just a minute, but I want to kind of set up a little introduction for you, a little example to help you understand where we're going this morning. Uh, I have a, a new interest, something I'm pursuing in my life, and maybe some of you guys are familiar with this and have uh, been a part of this, but I have a new interest and it's called CrossFit. Anybody know what CrossFit is? All right, some of you are really excited about that, some of you have no idea, and some of you have tried it and you hate it and you're moaning right now, but CrossFit can be defined as this. CrossFit is constantly varied functional movements performed at relatively high intensity. Now, here's my definition. You ready? Really hard workouts intended for people about half my age. That's what CrossFit is. Right? Anyone who knows what it is, you, you can relate to that. So uh, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it, trying to pursue some physical health and kind of got in this thing called CrossFit a little bit. And just want to bring a few pictures and show you about it. It's going to help us with the illustration here. So some family photos. Here's the first one. Go ahead and put that in. Okay, just so you know I'm not lying. That's myself, that's me, and right back there in the background there's Pastor Paul. We're pursuing this together. And then go ahead and go to the next slide. This is a really mean dude. That's Robbie Fleming. He's in our church. He's a brother. He's our CrossFit coach. And he's the one that screams at us and challenges us to do things we really don't want to do. And things that are really challenging. So he's, he's the expert. He's kind of coaching us. Really mild-mannered guy until... We're right in the middle of CrossFit, and here's what he looks like in the middle of a CrossFit session. That's Robbie. That's our coach. Just all over us, man. So I took another picture, and I wanted you to see a quick picture of Pastor Paul after our last CrossFit workout. Why don't you go ahead and put that up there. There's Pastor Paul. He kind of had a rough day at CrossFit. So, Mike, that's really funny. What's the point of all that? Well, here's what I've learned about this thing called CrossFit. It's a workout routine. I learned really quick that CrossFit is something I would never, ever, ever attempt to do by myself. I would just never pursue it. I would never show up. I would never push myself the way I need to be pushed. Probably if left to myself, I'm really going to hurt myself in some way with CrossFit. I've learned that I would never attempt this thing by myself. I need the challenge that my brothers provide. I need the encouragement that they provide. I know that this is something that I would never pursue alone. I also know that it's important, and CrossFit's taught me this, to be with a group of people that we're pursuing the same thing together. We're just trying to be healthy, trying to be fit. And I've learned that I'm healthier, physically healthier here, when I'm in community with these other brothers and we're pursuing the same thing together. Now, CrossFit is a really simple illustration that I wanted you to see this morning. And that's really the way the body of Christ, the church, is designed to function. In the New Testament, we looked at it a few weeks ago. We're going to kind of look at it again from a different perspective this morning. But this thing we call the church 
And a lot of you have a, little, a lot of different preconceived ideas and experiences when you hear the word church. A lot of different things come to your mind. In the New Testament, there's a word picture called the body. We are the body of Christ. Meaning, the human body kind of gives us a, a word picture, an illustration of what the church is, how the church functions. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, refers to this thing called the church as the body of Christ. And his point is, as we're walking this journey of walking with Christ as believers, we were never designed, never commanded, never called in any way to pursue Christ, to pursue this goal of Christ-likeness, what Christ is doing in our lives, to pursue that in isolation from other believers. We were never designed or called to do that. And the reality is, just like CrossFit, if I'm trying to pursue the things of God in my relationship with Christ, and I've somehow pushed back from the body of Christ, or I'm living over here in isolation for whatever reason, I'm simply never going to be as healthy as I could be. I must, I'm talking to me, I've got to have that encouragement, I've got to have that, I've got to have somebody to get, get my business, so to, so to speak, and challenge me, and give accountability, and give encouragement, I've got to have that to grow, as Christ desires and wants me to grow, He's designed it that way, it's like a human body, man, the human body parts were never designed to work by themselves, you take this hand, you put it over there by itself, it's not going to do real well. But my body without my hand is not going to be as healthy or as functional as it could be. There's an interdependence. And let's be honest with each other. In the Western, in the West part of the world, we, we don't like the idea of being interdependent upon others. We champion the idea of independence. I can do it on my own. I'm, you know, I'm John Wayne. I'm the Duke. I can do this by myself. But we're never designed to be John Wayne. We're designed to be interdependent upon one another. And sometimes, man, we just don't like that. We push back against that. And Here's where the rubber meets through. We hesitate to jump into the messiness of the church and the messiness of other people's lives. And therefore, we're not as healthy as we could be. And churches are not as healthy collectively as they could be. So Paul's going to help us on that here. He's going to walk us through a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4. And I really want us to be challenged this morning, me included, to have a scriptural... The Bible's our authority. The Bible's our authority. A scriptural understanding of this thing called the body of Christ. I know many of you from negative experiences, from hurts, from living in the United States and our consumer mentality have such maybe a distorted view of the church. God, give us a biblical understanding of this thing we're a part of called the body so what is it? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read down a few verses. going to give us some application. And then we're going to get real practical at the end here in just a few minutes. So chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's writing a letter. He's writing a letter to a local New Testament church. A group of believers at Ephesus. Then this letter went out to other churches in the area as well. And now 2,000 years later is coming to us. The word of God. Verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I the prisoner of the Lord. By the way, Paul means that literally, he means that figuratively. He's in a prison writing this letter. He says, I implore you, or I, I beg you, I'm really pleading with you here about something. So 
this is really important to Paul. So this is a really important thing. He's teaching Paul, he's teaching the believers there at Ephesus, teaching us, I implore you to walk, live your life, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Stop right there. It's one of those verses you have to really stop and ponder on because if you're not careful, you read that verse and you go here. Okay, Paul, are you saying I've got to live a certain way to earn the grace of God? I've got to be worthy to earn what God has done. That's not at all what Paul's saying here. Paul has just spent chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 of Ephesians laying out the grace of God in our lives. The plan of God from eternity past. If you're a believer, God chose you in eternity past. Jesus came to die for you, that you would have life. The Spirit of God is working in you, growing you, transforming you. He's placed you in a family. He has adopted you. He's brought you in. He's given you a new name. He's given you an inheritance. And all of that by grace. Grace is a summary word of all that God has done and is doing on your behalf. And then Paul comes and says, okay, in light of all of that, in light of all of that, live this way. You've been transformed. You're changed by the grace of God. Your life's going to be different because of what Christ has done in your life. Now, watch this, verse 2. Okay, Paul, give us, some, give us some help here. What do you mean? What does that look like, Paul? What does it look like to live... In response to the grace of God, verse 2, with all humility, and it's a tough word, and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And listen, this is why we read the Bible as it's written. Paul says, in light of all that God has done, Live your life in a manner worthy, equivalent to all that God has done. And the first area Paul talks about is how believers relate to one another. See that? Now listen to these words. Humility. It's a relational term. Meaning I see you in light of who God is. I see you in light of who God says I am and who God says you are. Meekness is the idea, or gentleness, that I don't claim my own rights. I'm not quick to say, well, I deserve this, or I should have that. It's the opposite of a me-centered life. Tolerance is an, accept it's an acceptance of one another, despite all our faults and gaps and shortcomings. I got a lot of gaps in my life, don't you? I got a lot of ways I blow it with people I love. I, I forget things. I don't do things right. I fail to do what I ought, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Paul says, listen, acceptance of one another, despite our faults, our shortcomings, and our failures, because we all got them. And then he says, showing tolerance for one another in love. Love is actively pursuing the good of another. Your good is as important or even more important than my good. Here's the point. Paul's not talking about the way we deal with circumstances here. Oh, this bad thing happened to me. Oh, this unfortunate event. Paul's directly talking about how we relate to one another. Now, this ought to catch our attention. Because of all the areas Paul could begin to talk about in light of who Christ is, what Christ has done, the first area he goes to is how we, the church, connect and relate and deal with one another. And he goes on, verse 3. Being diligent, he says. Being diligent. The word diligent means to make every effort. Being diligent to preserve the unity. 
The word preserve, the idea of being diligent, picture it like this. That it is the responsibility of all of us to fight for the unity of the church. Be diligent. It's a big deal. The unity of the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus in the bond of peace. Here's vital truth. I'm going to give you five vital truths as we kind of walk along. Hopefully these will help you. I'm going to hit them as we go along and make some application. Vital truth number one. Based on what we just read is this. Here we go. The evidence of genuine faith that I'm truly transformed by Christ. I'm not just playing games. I'm not just wearing the t-shirt. I've been born again. I've been transformed. The evidence of genuine faith is first seen in our relationship with other believers. In other words, it's easy to say, yeah, man. Jesus changed my life. How's everything? My personal walk with the Lord's good. I'm, I, how are you getting along with other believers? Uh, in other words, a transformed relationship here will radically transform your relationships here. See that? Humility, gentleness, patience. So Paul, where, where do you get all that from? What's the basis of this idea of the... The vital nature of how believers relate to one another. Verse 4. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Now listen to the words here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You hear a consistent theme. Oneness. 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 Listen. There is no entity on the planet. There is no entity that we will ever experience like the church. To take people who have nothing in common, nothing that they share, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different skin color, different ethnicity, and say, all of these differences, but now you share a bond that is Christ, that is greater than all of those differences. Listen, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You can't watch the news without seeing all the disunity and all the disharmony and everybody's at one another. The church is the only entity on the planet that can overcome all of that and we are the ones who can model it to the world that yes we have differences yes we have problems yes we have challenges but the oneness we share in Christ overcomes every one of those there's no entity like that the body of Christ vital truth number two here we go all believers share a supernatural unity as a result of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. This is incredible. Now you know this. Some of you know this. Some of this is starting to gel in your mind. Maybe you're new to this whole thing. I don't know. But when, when a person comes to know Christ, they're transformed from the inside out because the Spirit of Jesus comes to live inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus lives inside every other believer. And there's a oneness, a connection with every other believer. Now watch this. And particularly. Particularly with those. With whom you share a local church affinity. Listen. When he talks about the church. Global in nature. All believers. Yes. But written to a local New Testament church. Just like Tri-Cities. A local expression. Where we are. We said, this is my church family. This is my home. I'm committed here. Yes, I'm part of the global church. But there's always local expressions where I invest my time, my energy, my effort. There's leadership, local expressions of the church. There's a oneness you share with every other believer in this local church. Now listen, this is incredible. Paul makes reference to this back in Ephesians 3. You don't have to turn there. But there's no other entity like this on the planet. 
Chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, and this is God's plan. Talking about the church. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, the gospel, will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Stop! If you're living in the first century and you get this letter and you read this letter and you are a former Jew who's now a believer or you're a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, and you're a believer, the idea that what's the, Jews and non-Jews could come together in a oneness is an absolutely foreign concept. It's crazy. It didn't happen. It would be like today saying, okay, there's going to be a church and it's going to be Palestinians and Israelis all in one church. Are you kidding me? Maybe you saw the Olympics the other day at the judo between the Israeli and the Egyptian and they wouldn't even bow. The Egyptian wouldn't even shake the Israeli's hand because of this wall of division. Paul is making reference to that here and he's saying within the church there is a oneness that all the other divisions or all the other things that may divide us they fall to that. Christ, the gospel, our oneness trump every bit of that. Here's the point. Guys, you're a part of something completely unique in all the world. The church is to be a model of unity. Despite differences that the world looks upon and says, how is that possible? Christ. And then you say, why would God do it this way? Why is it so important? Ephesians 3.10. Okay, it says God's purpose in all this was, there's your answer, God's purpose in all this was that the church would display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers in heavenly places. Verse 21, glory to him in the church. It is to glorify God Almighty because he brings something together that has no reason to be together and holds it out to the world. And we say, and the world has to say, Jesus is the only answer. Only, only Christ could do that. Translation. You, me, call this our local church home. The unity, the way we treat one another, the way we build one another up, the way we are connected with one another, matters to God. Because the glory of His name matters to God. So when believers choose to pull away from one another or when believers choose to not fight for the unity of the church, it's not merely we have a disagreement. The very glory of God is at stake. Big deal. And that's Paul's point. It's a big deal. Fighting for the unity of the church. Okay. So what, what do we do with this then? Keep reading. Verse 7. So he says, okay, we have this oneness about us. You have this interdependence with every other believer that gets messy, it gets hard, it gets challenging. God has created it that way. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, Paul, what does that mean? We're one, but we're different. Each believer is uniquely gifted with a gifting from the Spirit to serve and build up the rest of the body. What does that mean? We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's called spiritual gifts. Spirit of God indwelling you enables you in unique ways to serve and build up and strengthen the body. So what do those look like? Could be teaching. Could be serving. Could be mercy. Could be administration. You like to organize things. You have discernment. You can just pick up on people's motives. You have great generosity. You have the gift of evangelism. Whatever it may be. 
God has placed members into his body, and then he's gifted those members of the body to serve the larger body for his glory. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So here's vital truth number three, really quick. Every believer is supernaturally gifted in order to build up the body of Christ. Every believer. Now let's take a pause here because I want you to get something. All right. As we kind of read along and we understand what Paul's saying about the church, it's real easy for us. I think all of us bring presuppositions into how the church works, and we all have misguided understandings of how the church works. Let me give you a myth, and I want to blow up this myth. That the church is somewhat like a football game. And the church operates this way. All the spectators come in, and they watch the paid professionals do the ministry, and that's the way the church is organized. Ephesians chapter 4 absolutely shatters that myth by saying this. The church functions and is healthy, and is every member, every part of the body is functioning, using their gifts, and serving every other part of the body. Church is not a spectator sport. You can say that. It's not a spectator sport. You have a place. You have a gift. You have giftings by the Spirit to build up the body of Christ. Two questions. Well, how, the, how do I even know what my spiritual gifts are? I mean, you say, well, I could go online, I go, you know, spiritualgifts.com, I could take this inventory, they could come out with this whole list, here's your top gift, here's your number two gift. Nothing wrong with that per se, here's the problem. Very weak tool. It's okay, can help you. Here's how you find out what your gifts are. Ready? It's going to be so. Jump in to the body of Christ. Jump in. In other words, jump into the messiness of other people's lives, engage in opportunities to serve, build relationships, connect, jump into the life of the body, and pretty soon you're going to see people in situations, you're going to have opportunities, you're going to be reading the Word, and you're going to say, man, I can't, here's what God taught me, and you're going to listen to me. I'm going to share with you what God taught me, and two hours later you're still sharing, and He taught me this and showed me this. You might have the gift of teaching. Or when you hear somebody who's hurting or someone who's in need and your heart just swells up within you and you think, I have got to meet that need. I'm going to do whatever it takes to serve that person. You know what? Ding, 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 ding. You might have the gift of mercy. Or you look at situations and you go, that's a mess. If they did it this way, it'd be so much better. And you send me an email and say, if you did it that way, it'd be so much better. And I send you an email back and say, I'm praying for you or something like whatever it is. And you say, if, I, if you just organize it this way and put the people here and here and here, here would be the outcome. You know what? You might have the gift of administration. Point is, man, spiritual gift inventories are awesome. Here's the way you learn your giftings. You plug in, you dive in into the messiness of the life of the church. And you start to use your gifts. And here's what's going to happen. Sometimes you're going to be a little bit misguided. And you're going to think, hey man, I've got the gift of, I don't know, pick something. This is not a spiritual gift, but like American Idol. Listen, I've got the gift of singing. And I'm going to get up on that stage. And I'm going to lead worship Sunday morning. And somebody's going to go, you don't ever need to sing in public again, bro. Okay? In other words, the church affirms and also keeps us from living with self-deception about what we're not. See? Well, God told me this, and God's guiding me this way, and I believe it's God's call on my life. And you need brothers and sisters coming around you and say, 
I have seen no evidence of that in the last six months. What are you talking about? That came out of nowhere. There's no pattern of God's activity. Are you sure you heard from God? And somebody with the gift of discernment is able to come up next to you and say, listen, I think you need to check your motives on that, bro. You may not like that, and you may push back, and you say, well, I'm not going to this life group anymore. They get in my business. Church is about getting in each other's business. It is. Because we need it to grow. We need it to grow. So every believer is supernaturally gifted in order to build up the body of Christ. Now, a couple other questions you may have. Really quick, verse 11. Skip ahead for sake of time. So Paul explaining a little bit more about the church. Verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, as teachers. God does give gifted men to his church. He gives leadership. He gives the role of elder, the role of my role of pastor-teacher, as it says here. For what? And man, this is a misconstrued concept, especially in the Bible Belt. Well, you got your pastor, you got your pastors, and man, we're just going to go watch them do the work. And if they're the ones that are doing the real ministry, that's not at all what Ephesians says. Watch this. He gives leadership to the church, verse 12, for, for the equipping of the saints. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. If you have in your eye, if you have in your mind some Catholic idea or ecclesiastical hierarchy that you've got God, the Pope, and then the pastor, and everybody else is down here, Ephesians 4 destroys that myth. My job as one of the pastors here is to equip you so that you are building up the body of Christ using your gifts by plugging in and serving and loving and giving and living life with each other. There's no hierarchy. I'm one of you. As are all your pastors. We're in this together. My job is to equip. Equip means to properly prepare, to condition. It was a word picture used back in that day of preparing nets to go fishing, that the net was properly equipped, the net was properly fitted to go out and carry out the mission, if you will, of fishing. It's the same word here. Of the saints for the work of service. There is a myth that we believe sometimes that real ministry is only done by the pastors and the staff and the elders. And if it's something real serious, one of those guys better do it because I'm just a simple old church member. There's no such thing as just a simple old church member. There are members of the body of Christ. He's equipped you. He's called you. I have my role. You have your role. And when we're functioning in our roles, guess what? The church is healthy, and the church grows, and the church thrives. Now, he says that we are to build up the body so it will grow. What does that look like? I mean, even the idea of church growth has so many different connotations. Is that, was that more people? Is that more buildings? Is that more programs? Is that more activity? And all of that may be a part of it. Listen, I'd love if there was... 3,000 people here every weekend and our church grew to that simply because there'd be more people to minister to and to send out on mission. But numerical numbers are not always an indication of growth. And I would even go as far as to say activity is not necessarily always a sign of growth. You may be the busiest person on the planet and you may not be growing at all. 
We don't want that for you. What's it look like? Look at verse 13 really quick. What's growth? Paul says we're to equip the saints to build up the body. The body then, what does it look like if it's being built up? Verse 13, until we all attain, that means come to meet, progress toward the unity of the faith. One indication of growth is when the Word of God is center, the Word of God is the centerpiece, and we have great unity around what is absolutely true, and we're no longer dividing over the things that don't really matter. (laughs) Truth is what binds us together. Love is what binds us together that flows out of truth. Not, well, I want it this way, or I like it this way, or we've always done it that way, or this is my preference. Doesn't matter. What's the Bible say? Second one, it says, until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. The word knowledge is an experiential idea, and it's this idea. Growth is when we are learning experientially in the Word of God through prayer to trust and obey Jesus. <laughs> and you are growing in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. We collectively are growing in our trust and dependence and obedience of Him. That's growth. And in the verse 13, he says it this way. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Let me give you a translation of that. Christ-likeness. You individually, we collectively, as his body, are becoming more and more and more and more and more like the very character of Jesus. So that his body that the world sees is a more clear, accurate reflection of who He is. See that? We are the body of Christ in the world. The world is to look to the church and say, that's what Jesus is like. That's the patience of Jesus. That's the love of Jesus. That's the mercy of Jesus. Oh, how they love one another. See that? Growth. Verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's a word picture of a, like a big beach ball out on the ocean and a wave comes by and it pops it up in the air and it just takes it here and it takes it there. That's the way a lot of folks live their Christian life, that man, they're doing good until this, you know, this teaching comes down the pike. Well, then they chase this and then this new author comes out with this new book and then they chase that and they, they're never stable in deeply rooted in the word of God. That's as we grow together. This is the authority. We're stable. We're healthy. We don't jump on every bandwagon and every book and every conference that comes down the pike. This is our authority. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we, we, we collectively are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. We're parts of the body. We each have individual roles to play with our giftings. Jesus is the head of the church pastor the elders jesus is the head of his church what does that result in verse 16 and i'm done ready from whom jesus the whole body all of us being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies he's really taking this metaphor now and pressing it out like a human body every joint holds together according to the proper working of each individual part each part's playing their role. The joints are holding together. Christ is growing His church. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Beautiful. Jesus is actively growing and building this church. 
Jesus chooses to grow his church through every one of you and through me. And I'm only going to grow when I'm in right relationship with you. And you're only going to grow when you're in right relationship with us. And there's this interdependence with one another because Jesus has rigged it that way. That's the way it works. Now I'm going to give you two vital truths and then some application really quick and we're done. Vital truth number four is this. Based on what we just read in verse 15 and 16, listen, listen to this, number four. The body of Christ, us, collectively, grows as each member actively contributes to the growth of one another. What does that mean? Jump in. Jump in. Some of you are making conscious decisions for multiple different reasons to stand back, to stand aloof, to isolate myself from involvement in the local body. I understand that. Jump in. The growth of the body is when we collectively jump in and contribute to the health of the body. Listen, it's messy. When you're trying to walk with people in real life and all their ups and downs and challenges and warts and all that that they have, it's messy. But you're a mess too. Right? Now, number five, final one. Collectively, we grow when each part is contributing to the health of one another. This is where it gets really practical. Number five. Every believer, individually, is deeply dependent upon the entire body of Christ. To progressively grow in maturity in Christ's likeness. In other words, it is a self-deception. And it is rampant in the Bible Belt Church South. To think, I'm doing fine on my own. We'll just kind of do our own little thing. I'll attend a service here or there to pet me up. And to think that you're growing like you could be growing. Or that you're growing in Christ's likeness like you could be. Because scripturally, God has designed it in such a way that we are deeply, deeply interdependent upon one another. Designed it that way. It is a form of self-deception to think that I can grow and be healthy otherwise. Practically. Listen, some of you all are here today and you're very frustrated with your walk with the Lord. Some of you are here today and you're very frustrated with this church for some reason. That's just reality. It's always that way. Many times the reason is because you have chosen for multitude of reasons to push back from the body of Christ that is designed for your growth and your maturity and your health. You've pushed back from the messiness of it and you are struggling in ways you shouldn't have to be struggling. Never designed that way. So Pastor Mike, what do we do with this? Where, where do we go with this? Well, let me give you some practical help and we'll be done. Jesus will build his church and he builds his church as each part lives in dependence upon every other part. So how does this practically happen? Jump in. What, what does that mean? How does that practically happen? Two ways. Number one, spontaneously. Listen, it happens spontaneously as you're engaging in the lives of other believers here at this church. There are those times where you are building one another up. 
you are encouraging one another. You are admonishing one another. It's over coffee. It's casual conversation. You, whatever that looks like. The body being the body. You hear of a need and you go meet that need. You connect here. You connect over lunch. Whatever that looks like. It's spontaneous interaction of the body being the body. And man, that happens in healthy churches. It's not a call to the office and say, well, somebody needs to, no, be the church. Be the church. But then secondly, and this is what we're going to talk about for just a couple minutes here. Not only does the church building itself up happen spontaneously as we interact with one another. Secondly, it happens through structured, consistent, smaller environments where believers are learning truth together and living out truth together in genuine community. In other words, consistent things that you are committing to to say, I want to be a part of this group and the messiness of it and all that that looks like because I want to be a consistent part. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be a part of this consistent, ongoing environment or group for their sake, for my sake, in obedience to Christ because it's the way God's designed it. What does that look like here? Let me get real practical. Here we have what we call groups. We have structured, organized environments that are we work very hard to plan these, to organize these, to hold these out as environments where believers can connect on a regular basis. We have two kinds. Many of you already know this, so it's going to be reviewed for some of you. We have what are called study groups, and we have what are called life groups. These are consistent environments for you to jump in. Study groups, and you're going to watch a video about this in just a second. Study groups are this. Many of you already know this, but let me be clear. Study groups are environments designed around the truth where there's a trained, a gifted, equipped teacher that shares the truth of God's Word, and you and community are learning that truth together. They run a semester long. They usually focus on a particular topic. For example, this semester, starting this week, some of you have those cards in front of you. Wes is going to mention these more in a minute. We are starting a particular study group called our, our uh, Family Discipleship Study Group. Family discipleship is designed for parents, caregivers, aunts, uncles, whatever it may be, who are really wanting to grow in the area of discipling in your own home, to come together with gifted teachers, to learn truth together in community, so that we can adequately and rightly disciple the next generation. We're learning that together. That is a great group for many of you to plug into. But outside of study groups, we also have something called life groups. Life groups are designed around a smaller group of people, not where there's a particular teacher of the group, but we are in community with one another and we're speaking into one another's lives around gospel conversations. We share, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's what God's teaching me. Here's how God's using me to spread the gospel. Here's what I have to praise God about. Here's what I'm struggling about. There are these gospel conversations around truth where we're living life out together. You've got to have that in your life. Fellowship, biblically, is not just sharing coffee together. Fellowship is placing yourself in environments where you are speaking the truth of God's word into people's lives and people are speaking the truth back into your life to help one another grow. So we create atmospheres, environments for those things. Study groups, life groups. Now, you're going to watch a video in just a second. Uh, the videos are designed really for many of you who are not familiar with study groups and life groups. For some of you guys, this is just a review. So if you're not familiar with what those are, I want you to watch the videos. And Wes is going to come in a minute and give you some instruction. Secondly, let me challenge you. If you're a part of a life group and a study group already, you're saying, man, this is my church family. I'm going to plug in. I'm a part of a life group and study group already. Do you know how most people ever get connected into the life of the body? Watch this. 
someone goes to them and takes them by the hand and walks them into the life of the body. They're invited. They're asked. So here's a challenge for every person in our church who is already in a life group and a study group to say, over the next three months, I challenge every person, me included, will you connect at least one person who's not connected to your life group and your study group? Well, you think, who is that? I'm going to invite them. I'm going to continue to invite them. I may drive them crazy, but I'm going to do what I can to connect them into my study group or my life group or a study group or a life group here. Invite. Ask. Ask. They need a person bringing them into community. That's our challenge over the next three months. Study groups, life groups, take a look. Go ahead and run the videos, and then Wes is going to come. Hi, we're Chuck and Kelly Biggs. Uh, we've been coming to Tri-City since, I think, January of 2012. We moved to Kingsport in the, the fall of 2011. One thing that I'm, um, I was really blessed to do um, through the leadership of our church was to read through the Bible in a year. And I had never done that before. So um, I had tried it um, and just, I'm not a fast reader, so I would just quit. Um, but doing it with our life group, we were all doing it together. So that kept me going, and, um, and I was so blessed to do that, to read it all the way through. We went through a lot of different things in our life group. You know, we had uh, marriages, we had uh, birth of children, uh, just a lot of joyful things. We also had some difficulties as uh, uh, we had, you know, death in family, we had uh, cancer, uh, other illnesses that we had to deal with marital issues and it was difficult there was it was I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it there were some difficult things in our life group um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world uh, it was it's, it has been and as it continues to be a blessing to us and we've made some friends there'll be lifelong friends in that group we also realized that and we learned that we're all going through the same thing we all have the same struggles and when you're together in a life group, uh, it just strengthens you, it helps encourage you, and just would really encourage you to give life group a try. Uh... Study groups facilitate an opportunity to learn truth through teaching and Bible study. Biblical truths and observations will be presented by a teacher who may proclaim truth via lecture, video, or group discussion. Teachers are carefully selected and held to high standards as one who is responsible to articulate the revelation of God. Study groups are organized into semesters. Most will gather once per week for approximately one hour. Many will gather on one of our campuses, but some may gather off campus in homes. The exact gathering times and locations are clearly listed in each semester's study group catalog. Join a study group today to learn truth in community with others.